waymaker, miracle worker, light in the darkness. That is exactly who he is. Well, welcome to the vineyard. <clears throat> we haven't had a chance to meet. My name is Dave, and I'm really glad that uh, you are here um, with us as we continue our series this morning on Portraits of Jesus. Now, as I was thinking about this series this week in the office, I was sitting there thinking uh, about all the different portraits of Jesus that I've seen throughout the years, and I just went, did a quick run through the building, and I and I found some different ones that I'd like to share. And uh, starting with this one, if you can see this one, one portrait of Jesus shows him in the Garden of Gethsemane. All right. Now, what does this one make you think? When you look at this one, what do you think of? Anybody? Praying. Praying. Okay. Do you think this is what Jesus looked like in the Garden? Probably not. He looks a little bit, um, well, he looks almost like he's a little unconcerned. Not, not unconcerned. Like he's not concerned enough about what he's about to go through. Because he knew what he was about to go through, right? So, but, you know, it does show him praying and, you know, light coming down from heaven. And, you know, how the... Uh, scripture says that the angels came and strengthened him in that. So we see him praying in the garden here. And then, let's see, we have this one. What do you think of when you see this one? His love for children, right? We see Jesus with the children, and they're, they're kind of hanging on him. And the one girl is just looking adoringly into his eyes. You know, right? Kind of a neat, kind of a neat picture. All right. So you got Jesus with the children. Then there's another one. Again, Jesus with the children. Now, what do you think of when you look at this one? If you can see it. Compassion. Okay. I mean, and and, and love and compassion. How he's got the, um, you know, the probably a girl, I don't know, could be either. Little child, you know, his hands, you know, cupped around her face, just looking at her and just, you know, with eyes of love and that. Um, and those are three. Now, I've got another one somewhere that, uh, that uh, shows Jesus with his head back and he's laughing. And it's called the happy Jesus or the laughing Jesus or something like that. And um, as as we look at all these pictures, um, different, different artists portraying different aspects of what they believe Jesus looked like, uh, you know, happy, concerned for children, praying. Some are very serious. Some are very religious looking. I grew up with one in the house with Jesus there, and they had a picture of his heart right, right here and a crown of thorns over it, and he's got a pose like this, you know, something like this, like he's blessing people. Are you familiar with that one? You know, they all show some aspect of the, um, of what that artist thinks Jesus looked like. And I, as I look at these pictures, I think, you know, it's interesting that 
none of them really look the same except that they all portray Jesus with long hair and a beard, right? I mean, you ever see a picture of Jesus with a crew cut? You know, you always show him your long hair with the beard. You ever see him with a, you know, a Fu Manchu mustache? No, you know, there's similarities. In fact, when we see somebody, we meet, you know, how often have you seen, you know, just try to describe somebody and say, well, he's got long hair and a beard, kind of looks like Jesus, you know. Um, anyway, but, but, you know, we, we look at Jesus through, or, or the artist, you know, looks at Jesus through his eyes. And, and, we, and so we see him through the filter of the artist. Some portray him as gentle, meek, and mild. Others portray him as rough and rugged. Uh, some emphasize his suffering, uh, you know, or his love for children or, or his joy. All of them show a different side of Jesus, you know, contemplative, meek, manly, accessible, strong, happy, whatever, all through the eyes of the artist, except that almost everyone misses it in one major area. You know, Jesus did not have blue eyes. Jesus was not fair-skinned. He was not white. He was not a white man. He was a Middle Eastern Jewish man. It means he most likely would have had dark hair, brown eyes, and uh, uh, dark or olive-colored olive skin. But that's not typically how we see him. We see him through our eyes, and we make him look like us. Well, in this series, we're talking about portraits of Jesus from the Bible. While we may not know what Jesus looked like, we do know what he was like. So we're looking at scripture and we're looking at word portraits, words which describe the essence of who Jesus was. And we started this series by looking at a picture of Jesus the King. Jesus is the King. Not only the King, but the King of all kings and Lord of all lords. And, you know, that is a must for understanding who Jesus is and what he came to do. He wasn't just a nice guy that went around doing cool stuff. He came and he is king. And in order to fully understand his ministry, in order to fully understand who he is, we have to understand that. So that's how where we started. And then we moved on from there and we saw, looked at Jesus, the compassionate. Because not only is he a king and a ruler, but he is a compassionate king. He's not a tyrant. He's not a dictator. He, you know, he, he is a compassionate king. He came as one who was motivated by compassion for broken and hurting people. That's what moved his heart. Today we're going to look at Jesus the healer. All through the Gospels, when we look at Jesus, we see Jesus healing the sick and the suffering. Healing was a major part of his ministry. Wherever he went, people surrounded him and wanted to be healed. In addition to the numerous accounts of specific people that he healed, specific instances, we have a number, a number of what we would call summary statements, such as in, in, in Matthew uh, 15, 30, for example, it's a summary statement. And it says, great crowds came to him, bringing the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute, and many others, and laid them at his feet, and he healed them. We see statements like that all throughout the Gospels that summarize 
you know, his, his healing ministry. It's like all these people came to Jesus and all, you know, and, and they were, um, and they were all healed. And, and you know, as, as, so we see that as well as the specific instances. This morning, I want us to look at five things about Jesus' healing ministry, and then we're going to look at a few implications that it has for you and for me. And the first thing it's important to realize is, again, it's, it's tied to what we talked about in the first week, is Jesus' ministry of healing was a sign that Jesus was the Messiah. It was a sign. It showed that Jesus was the Messiah or the King. Let's look at Luke 7. This takes place when John was in prison, John the Baptist. Okay, apparently John started, while he was in prison, started to have some doubts about who, you know, about Jesus. You know, he had already said, hey, you know, here comes the Lamb of God, you know, take away the sin of the world. And then John ends up in prison, and for whatever reason, he apparently started to have doubts, possibly because things weren't going the way that he thought they should go. He didn't come barging in and, and, and free them from Roman oppression. Uh, after all, the Messiah was going to set captives free, and here was John in prison, right? So, sitting in prison, we pick up in Luke 7, verse 18. The disciples of John the Baptist told John about everything Jesus was doing. So John called for two of the disciples, two of his disciples, and he sent them to the Lord to ask him, are you the Messiah we're, we've been expecting, or should we be looking for someone else? John's two disciples found Jesus and said to him, John the Baptist sent us to ask, are you the Messiah we've been expecting? Or should we be looking for someone, keep looking for someone else? At that very time, Jesus cured many people of their diseases, illnesses, and evil spirits. And he restored sight to many who were blind. Then he told his disciples, go back to John and tell him what you've seen and heard. The blind see. The lame walk. Those who with leprosy are cured. The deaf hear. The dead are raised to life. And the good news is being preached to the poor. And he, he added, God blesses those who do not fall away because of me. Or some translations say, who are not offended because of me. In other words, he wasn't fitting the mold of what they were expecting. They were waiting for a Messiah. They were waiting for a king. They were waiting for a deliverer. Uh, uh, in the line of David, there were waiting, but when Jesus came on the scene, he didn't exactly fit that mold of what they were looking for. So when Jesus sends uh, uh, John's disciples back to him, he points to a passage that John would have known very well, that any Jewish man or woman would have known very well in that culture. And he points to a passage in Isaiah that describes what the Messiah will be like or what he will do when he comes. In Isaiah 35, starting in verse 5, we read, And when he comes, talking about the Messiah, And when he comes, he will open the eyes of the blind and unplug the ears of the deaf. The lame will leap like a deer, and those who cannot speak will sing for joy. Springs will gush forth in the wilderness, and streams will water the wasteland. John tells, or Jesus tells John's disciples, go tell John what you just saw. In other words, he's saying to, his, to John's disciples, look at the signs. Consider the works that I'm doing. 
Compare them to what Scripture says the Messiah will do. Don't worry if it doesn't look exactly like you think it should. Sometimes we miss God because he shows up in a different way than we expect him to. Isn't that true? Sometimes we miss what he's doing or we miss his presence because we ask for a certain thing and when he answers it, it shows us, um, it, he, he answers it in a way that, that is not quite what we were expecting. We've got this picture in our mind and, uh, of what the answer is going to look like and it looks completely different. But God doesn't always fit into our mold of how we think he should work. Remember, Jesus is what? The first week we said he is the king. Jesus the king. King does what he wants and how he wants to do it. When John started to wonder if he'd missed it, the disciples sent him back with a message, hey, Jesus is doing all the things that Isaiah the prophet said he would do when he, said the Messiah would do when he came. So, you know, that, there's your answer. So we see Jesus went about healing all who were sick. I mean, it was more than just him helping people who needed help or helping people who were suffering. It was pointing to his identity as the Messiah, the long-awaited Messiah, King, who would sit on the throne of David. Second thing we see about the healing and ministry of Jesus was that it was a sign of his love and compassion for people. We talked about his compassion last week. And I want to look again briefly the story we looked at last week. It's Again, one of my favorite Jesus stories, Mark 1. A man with leprosy came and knelt in front of Jesus, begging to be healed. If you're willing, you can heal me and make me clean, he said. Moved with compassion, Jesus reached out and touched him. I am willing, he said, be healed. It's a sign of his compassion, of his love. He isn't afraid to touch us in our brokenness. Rather, he's moved with compassion to touch us in our deepest place of need, our deepest place of hurt, our deepest place of doubt, our deepest place of despair or desperation. Because he cares about you, he is not afraid of your sickness. He's not afraid, uh, ashamed or embarrassed of our sickness. In fact, he's angry at Satan for the way Satan is trying to discourage and destroy uh, the faith of those who are sick. Satan comes in and, 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 and tries to, to destroy us any way he can, and he will use sickness, among other things, to do that. And, and Jesus is angry at that. He doesn't like what he sees the enemy, you know, when he sees him wreaking havoc in our lives. He loves you, and he wants you to live the way that he created you to live, and sickness interferes with that. So while Jesus is healing people is a sign that he's the Messiah, it's also a sign of what kind of Messiah he is. Uh, he, he's a Messiah who cares about his people. You see, a lot of times we think of Jesus coming to uh, uh, so that we can be forgiven of our sin, and that's a very huge part, a very important part of what Jesus came to do, but that's not the only thing he, did, he came to do. He didn't just come to, so that we can be forgiven of sin. He cares about our life in this physical body, and he is a healer. In Matthew 4.14, we see another summary statement of Jesus, you know, uh, a healing, once again attributed to the compassion that Jesus has for the pain and suffering the people were experiencing. 
when Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, because he'd been in a boat and he got to shore, says he had compassion on them and healed their sick. It's the same today as it was then. He wanted to see people freed of their afflictions back then, and he wants to see people freed of their afflictions now, today. In other words, he was a compassionate healer then. He's a compassionate healer still today. Third thing we see about the healing ministry of Jesus. It was available to everyone. We need to hear this. You know, sometimes we hear a story of God doing some tremendous or some amazing thing for someone. And we think, oh, that's great that God did that for them. But then, if we're honest, sometimes we secretly think in our mind, yeah, but he'd never do that for me. Honestly, I mean, have you ever thought that? He would do it for them, but that's them. He's not going to do it for me. But you see, this wasn't for just a select few. It wasn't for just one group. Jesus didn't have a list of preferred candidates for healing where he looks at the list and says, okay, this one makes it, this one makes it, this one makes it. Uh, what was your name again? Um, sorry, you're not on the list. Let's look at a few. In Luke 17, verses 12 to 19, we won't take time to read it now, but it's a story where Jesus heals 10 lepers. Remember the story? He heals 10 lepers, and they went their way, and one came back to thank him. Do you remember what Jesus said about that man? Who was that man? He was a Samaritan, okay? And the implication is that at least some of the others, if not all the others, were Jews, but this one was a Samaritan. So we see here that Jesus was healing both Jews and Samaritans. His healing was open to both. Then in Mark 7, we see that you know a Gentile woman came to Jesus when he was in the land of Tyre. And, and the Gentile woman comes and asks Jesus to heal her daughter. And he did. So now we have not only Jews and Samaritans, but also Gentiles. Okay, so we got Jews, Samaritans, Gentiles. Then in Matthew 8, there is a passage where a Roman centurion came to Jesus because his servant was paralyzed. And Jesus said, okay, I'll come. And he was going to go to his house and heal him. And the centurion said, I, I'm not worthy to have you come to my house. You just say the word and my servant will be healed. And Jesus commended him on his great faith, told him to go home. And when he got home, he saw that his servant was healed. So we have Jews. We have Samaritans. We have Gentiles. We have Romans. All these people that are included in Jesus' healing ministry. But there's one more I want us to look at. It takes place when Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane. In Luke 22, verses 49 and 50 through 51, we have a story where uh, a mob came to arrest Jesus. Uh, you know, Judas betrayed him. Mob comes to arrest him. What's Peter do? He grabs a sword and he swings it. And in so doing, he sliced off the ear of the high priest's servant. 
What does Jesus do? He tells Peter, put that away. And then he reaches out. He touched the man's ear. And he healed him. So Jesus' healing was even available to those who, have been, who would have been considered his enemy. I mean, that just amazes me. Somebody that came to arrest him, that was part of the crowd that was going to arrest him, and then Jesus knew that was going to lead to the scourging and the, and the cross. One of those people, and when Peter sliced off the servant's ear, Jesus told Peter to stop and said, touch the man's ear and healed him. Now, I don't know if he just reached out and created a new ear or if he picked the old one off the ground and put it back on. I don't know. I'd love to see that sometime. You know, see, how, how did you do that, Jesus? I want to meet that servant someday in heaven. I hope to. Because I would imagine that would have had to impact his life. Can you imagine when you're going in it, like if, you're, if you were in that crowd, that mob going to arrest Jesus and, and you got your ear cut off, can you imagine that in the midst of your screaming and, and everything, Jesus just reaches out and heals your ear? That would have blown my mind if I was that man. I'd love to see the rest of the story of his life. Anyway, that's just speculation. But um, the thing is, we, what we see is that Whoever wanted healing could get healing from Jesus. The fourth thing we see about Jesus' healing ministry, it's not limited to one method. God doesn't always work the same way. Sometimes we want him to. Sometimes we want to see him, you know, we want to put him in a box and, okay, he did this this way before, so now he's going to do it the same way again. Well, you know, for example, in Mark 141, Jesus touched the leper, healed him, cleansed him just by reaching out and touching him. In Mark 22, Jesus made, uh, excuse me, Mark 8, 22, uh, Jesus made mud with saliva, you know, so he spit on the ground, made mud, put it in the blind man's eyes and told him to go and wash. So we have a combination of things here. Jesus did something um, uh, a little unusual with making mud with spit, although at the time saliva was considered to have healing properties. So, you know, he, he made some mud, put it in the man's eyes, and then he told him to go and wash. In other words, he required an act of obedience. Uh, just like when, when Jesus told the man to go wash in the pool of Siloam. It's, you know, it's, it, it, sometimes he requires an act of obedience with, uh, uh, with us. So that's one way that he works. Um, in Luke 19, we see that people who touched Jesus were healed. So not only were people healed when Jesus touched them, but also when they came to him and touched him. And these are just some of the methods. There's other people that Jesus you know, healed just by declaring them to be healed. One more thing about Jesus' ministry we need to see, and then we're going to see the implications, what the implications are for you and for me. When we look at the Gospels, we see that Jesus' ministry, his ability to heal people, was affected by the spiritual atmosphere around him. Interesting passage in Mark 6. Matthew reports the same thing in the 13th chapter of his Gospel. 
In Mark 6, Mark tells us Jesus was in his hometown of Nazareth, and the people look at him, and, and, they, and, and they start, wait a minute, they start thinking, and they start saying, you know, this is Jesus. We know him. We know his, he, he just lives right down the road or around the corner with his family. We know his family. Who does he think he is? He's nothing special. And they begin to, to, you know, start this conversation about him, and they took offense at him. They took offense at him. And then Mark tells us in verse, verse 5, and because of their unbelief, he couldn't do any miracles among them except place his hands on a few sick people and heal them. And he was amazed at their unbelief. It amazes me that Jesus' ability to heal was affected by the spiritual atmosphere that surrounded him. I mean, many times we see people, he, uh, we see Jesus heal when there's an atmosphere of faith, and here we see an atmosphere of un unbelief that limited what he was able to do. It limited his ability to do very much. He couldn't do very many healings. He, he you know, couldn't do any miracles except heal a few sick people because he was surrounded by an atmosphere of unbelief. Here's the point. The atmosphere around us matters. What we surround ourselves with matters. Now, some of you I know are active in praying for people who are sick and have been asked to pray for people. And I'm not just saying, okay, I'll go home and I'll pray for you. I'm saying, like, when I talk about praying for the sick, I'm talking about, you know, laying hands on people and, you know, and, and, and that, the, the, the risky stuff, Okay. Well, a number of you are, are involved in that ministry, and uh, let me ask you, have you ever tried to pray for someone from the moment you start, it seems like the prayers just drop to the floor? I mean, the person, maybe the person came to you and to ask for prayer simply because they felt like they had to, they were obligated to, but in their mind, they're really thinking, it isn't going to work. Been here, done that, nothing ever happens. And there is a, the, 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 the unbelief. Now, now I, I want you to be careful. I don't want you to hear me saying that when somebody is not healed, because let's face it, not everybody we pray for is healed. I don't want you to hear me saying that when somebody is not healed, that it's because of their lack of faith. I'm not saying that at all. Because more often than not, I think it's something else. Okay? But when a person has been saturated in an atmosphere of unbelief and their, their self-talk and everything else, it can be hard to pray for somebody. Is that right? Now, how many know what I'm saying is true? You know, it's, it's you know how James, let me, I, I was thinking of it this way. You know how James talks about a shield of faith that we hold up and is able to quench the fiery darts of the enemy? Well, it's kind of like the opposite of that. It's almost like they have a force field of underbelief where they have predetermined that nothing is going to happen. They refuse to believe that it will happen, that it could happen, or that Jesus would do it for them. And our prayers hit that force field, and they just drop to the ground powerless. What we want to do, both for ourselves when we need healing, 
and for others when we're praying for others to be healed, we want to cultivate an atmosphere of faith. We want to cultivate an atmosphere of expectation for healing. The atmosphere is very important. And if we find ourselves in a situation where we, and, and it could be just be simply because we've tried and, you know, we, maybe we've been prayed for before and not been healed and it's happened a lot. And when we find ourselves in this situation, we need to feed ourselves, put ourselves in an atmosphere that cultivates the expectation that, you know, maybe this is the time. I've been prayed for before, not healed, but maybe this is the time. I'm going to go for it. And if this isn't it, then I'm going to go for it again, and I'm going to press in. Just like the, the, the woman who had the issue of blood for, for, what, 12 years, I think it was, and, you know, came up and said, you know, she, she, was, like, she was like, I don't care what happens to me. I don't care if they kill me. I'm going to get to Jesus, and I'm going to touch him. And if I just touch him, if I just touch the hem of his garment, then I can be healed. And that's exactly what happened. She touched his garment, and right away, power just went out from him. And, he, and she was healed. That's the kind of thing, the attitude of faith that we want to cultivate. Now, let's look at implications for us as a church. I've got three of them. First one, very simple, but it's so easy to overlook. We, as a church and as individuals, we must be about the ministry of healing. It is not something that is optional. G healing is to be a regular part of the ministry of the church. It is to be a regular part of believers' lives. In Luke 9, Jesus sent the apostles out and commissioned them to do what he was doing. It says in verse 2, Then he sent them out to tell everyone about the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. You say, well, that's the apostles. Well, in the next chapter, in Luke chapter 10, he sends out 72 disciples. Not just the apostles, but he sends out 72 disciples to do the same thing. He sent them out to heal the sick, to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. And then after the resurrection, before Jesus ascended into heaven, he said, now you're to go and make disciples of all nations and teach them to do everything I've said, everything I've commanded. In other words, teach them to carry on the work, teach them to do the work that I have been doing. So as a church, we are here to continue on the ministry of Jesus. And if that means, uh, or, or that means that if healing the sick was a part of Jesus' ministry, then it must be a part of our ministry. It, must, it should be a part of every church's ministry. Now, yes, some churches, you know, focus on one thing and some focus on another thing, but healing should be across the board, a part of the ministry of the church of Jesus Christ. Today, because we've not, he, nowhere, nowhere does he ever tell us, okay, you're done with that. So we need to be about the business of healing and say well i don't know how i don't know how well we can be trained we can learn a lot of it is we can use the excuse of of i don't know how as as a be, because we're afraid well what if i fail 
Do you know how many times I've failed praying for the sick? Many times. But I've also succeeded in times. And if I didn't take the risk to, to uh, if I didn't take the risk and step out and ever try and swing that bat and even risk striking out, I wouldn't have hit a home run ever. And it's not just for everyone else in the church. He wants you to begin to pray for the sick. He wants you. He's inviting you into that. Just as he invites me into that. He wants us to all practice praying for healing. And again, not just in the sense of, okay, I'll go home and pray for you. Yes, we need that. We obviously need that. But also in the sense of laying hands on people or speaking over people and saying, okay, God, I'm praying for this and I'm praying for it now. It matters. If we want to see people healed, then we must pray for the sick and not quick. And this goes into our, leads us to our second implication. We need to continue to press in even when we don't see results. Any one of us who has prayed for the sick, if we're honest, will tell you that, yes, there are many times when the person hasn't gotten well. Keep praying. I remember John Wimber saying one time that someone came up to him one time, because John Wimber had a, had a, had a tremendous ability, uh, a ministry, he had a special ministry for healing the sick, and, and, and he taught others to do it. It's one of the, the earmarks of the Vineyard Movement is you know, learning how to do the stuff. He taught people how to, how to do the stuff uh, of ministry, and, and this guy came up to him and said, you know, I've prayed for people, but I've never seen anybody get, hick, get, get healed. Nobody I've ever prayed for has gotten well. And Wimber just turned to him and said, go and pray for 500 people, then come back and we'll talk. In other words, don't stop. Just keep doing it. Because if we keep doing it, we're going to see someone, we're going to see people healed. See, here's the reality. If we give up, we will never see anybody healed. If you never swing the bat, you'll never get a home run. You'll strike out every time. But if you swing that bat, if you begin to pray for people and keep it, and I know it's hard. I know it's discouraging when you pray and, and you don't see results. For one thing, a lot of times there's a deeper need than just the healing. And a lot of times God does something other than what we expect him to. Our job is just to do what Jesus tells us to do. The more we keep at it, the more our faith will grow, and the more people that we the more we will see people healed. And when we pray and we don't see anything happen, don't just give on and give up and move on to something else. Be willing to spend time over uh, praying over someone. Maybe schedule a time when you have more time than you have in the moment. Uh, you know, we, we, we see an interesting story. It kind of breaks the mold of all the other Jesus healings that we're told about. I have a feeling that, or a suspicion, I should say, that this happened more than one time. But we do see one time in the gospel where it happened like just this. Jesus was in Bethsaida, 
and the people brought to him a blind man. And it says in, in Mark 8, 23, Jesus took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. And then, spitting on the man's eyes, he laid his hands on him and said, can you see anything now? The man looked around. Yes, he said, but, you know, I, I see people, but I can't see them very clearly. They look like trees just walking around. Then Jesus placed his hands on the man's eyes again, and his eyes were opened. His sight was completely restored, and he could see everything clearly. What if Jesus had quit after his first attempt to heal that man? What if he just quit and said, well, I tried. You got a partial healing. Good luck with that. The man would not have been healed. The point is, Jesus didn't quit. He said, okay, we're going to do this again. So be willing to pray again. And that leads to our, brings us to our third implication. If we want to see people healed, we really need to surround ourselves in an atmosphere of healing. Scripture doesn't say it, but a case could be made for the reason that Jesus led this blind man out of the village was because of the atmosphere of unbelief in the village. Sometimes we need to lead someone out gently, lovingly, lead someone out of an atmosphere of unbelief and lead them into an atmosphere of faith and expectation. You see a story in Matthew 9 where Jesus raised a girl from the dead. When he arrived, the woman, or the other woman, the room was full of mourners who mocked Jesus and, and, and told them that, that she was only asleep. So he cleared the room. Jesus cleared the room, went over to the girl, took her by the hand, and she got up. Then in Acts 9, we see a story, very similar, where the apostle Peter was called on when a woman, Tabitha, Greek name of Dorcas, Died. Now, I don't recommend anybody name their daughter Dorcas today. She might not like that as she gets older. Um, but, you know, so, so Tabitha, also known as Dorcas, you know, she died, and, and they call on Peter. What does Peter do? He thinks, now, wait a minute. This kind of looks, sounds familiar. It's a similar situation. seems to me, yes, I saw Jesus do this. How, how did Jesus do this? He cleared everyone out of the room, went over to the girl, prayed, and said, Tabitha, get up. And she got up. Why did Jesus and then later Peter clear the room? Because the spiritual atmosphere matters. He cleared out those that were mocking, those that were, that were you know, just making fun of, ah, you don't know what you're talking about. He cleared all of that out. See, the spiritual atmosphere can either hinder healing or foster an atmosphere of faith where healing can take place. So bottom line, we must be about healing the sick. That's what Jesus, if Jesus was physically here right now today, that's what he would be doing. That's what we need to be doing. Second, we must press in and not give up. Don't get discouraged. Don't let yourself, you know, uh, give up if you... If you pr begin to press into this and you don't see results right away, keep pressing in and you will see results.
We don't do it because we see results. We do it because Jesus wants us to. And if we keep at it and don't give up, we'll be glad we kept at it. And then we must learn to cultivate an atmosphere of faith and expectation. We're going to be scheduling soon a meeting for outreaches this summer. Outreaches, you know, that we can go out into the community and, and, uh, uh, and minister to people in different ways. And the meeting we're going to schedule is for anyone who wants to be involved in the actual planning of those events, the actual planning of those ministries, like deciding, okay, what are we going to do? How are we going to do it? And then planning and pulling it off. If you are interested in the planning part, not just if you're interested, yeah, you know, I'd like to get involved in outreach, but if you're interested in getting together and doing the planning part, okay, and sh coming up with ideas and just shooting them out there, because some of them I think will have to do with what we talked about today, but, but you know, not all of them. But if you're interested in getting in on the planning part and coming up with ideas and that, then shoot us an email at the church and um, we'll let you know when we have that meeting. Uh, but we got to do that so that we know, you know, what we're going to do. We got to come up with a plan uh, and then we're going to focus on it this summer. So let's stand. I want you to hold out your hands. If you are willing to take a risk, and if you're willing to, for God to use you in this ministry, in a ministry of prayer, and it doesn't have to look like some big thing, it's just maybe it's your neighbor that's sick, and you just, you know, I I'm a Christian, and I believe that God still heals people. Can I pray for you right now or somebody at work? That's what you want. Hold out your hands. I'm going to pray that God would bless you with that. Father, you've said that we are to do the work of Jesus. You've given us the work of Jesus to do. And part of that work is healing the sick. Lord, every single one of us know we cannot do it on ourselves. We cannot do it in our own strength. We don't have that power. We don't have that ability. But Lord, you give us the power, the ability, and the authority to do it. So I ask you now, Lord, for those that want to be used to heal people who are sick, I pray that you would impart, impart your Holy Spirit to them in a way that your Holy Spirit will lead them into opportunities and will guide them along the way in that. Show them how to proceed in any given situation. Lord, let your Holy Spirit empower us 
that we can do this part of the ministry of Jesus. Teach us how to heal the sick. Teach us how to see what you are doing. Teach us how to see the work that you are doing around in the lives of the people around us and give us ears to hear when you are inviting us to join in in your work because that's when we're going to see the fruit of our prayers. We ask you for that. In Jesus' name. Now I want to give you the benediction. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. God bless you. We're going to go ahead and dismiss. If you have your offering with you, your tithes and offerings, you can put it in the one of the black boxes by the doors. Otherwise, you can give electronically uh, or through... Uh, um, or through the mail. We've got our address up there and our uh, web address. You can go to that and click on the Give button, follow the prompts. God bless you. Go out and have a great week. And ask God to show you someone that he wants you to pray for. And then go for it. God bless. See you next week.